you're welcome to keep doing things the way that you've always done it. But as markets get tighter and margins get thinner, we have to change something in order to improve the way that we're doing business. And if you want to go back to the same crappy way that you were doing it before, that's always an option. You can always go back to that. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of building and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, and I'm one of your hosts today. Our co-host is Ryan Bell. Ryan, it's great to have you join me today remotely as co-host. Good to have you here. Thanks, Todd. I'm excited to uh, kind of be on the other side of the camera for once. Well, it's good to have you there. So I do have to ask... um, I have never gotten the other co-host to share a dad joke, but I know that uh, you're a great dad and you got a few dad jokes in your repertoire. So uh, got any any jokes for us today? I do. I have a few that I'll share. Um, And actually, these are construction related. So um, do you know what the most popular band of all time among construction professionals is? Most popular band among construction professionals. I do not. Carpenters. (laughs) <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> what do construction workers do at parties? <laughs> Most of that probably can't be said. No, just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. Um, I don't know. What no, do this is a, an easy one. They raise oh, the roof. Ah, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that was a fun way to start. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. The main thing I remember is uh, when my son was once on an academia team, the only questions he was able to answer had things to do with, like, Leonard Skinner and Breaking Bad. Um, Ethan Young, who was there on that team, was answering all of the very academic stuff and all of these very nuanced things about literature and all this stuff and Greek mythology. And my son knows Leonard Skinner and Breaking Bad. It's funny you say that because when he asked what was the most popular band among construction people, I was going to say, I know there's a joke answer, but the real answer is probably Leonard Skinner. (laughs) I thought I I was going to say Dad Halen. Halen. (laughs) (laughs) This is good stuff. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in to uh, this episode. Today's guests are Mary and Jason Sturgeon of Arcade Wayfinding in Seattle, Washington. Um, they also have their own podcast, so this stuff's all pretty old hat to them, uh, called The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, um, as well as they have a whole bunch of other initiatives going on, too. Um, but as I look at them, at the core of what they do is really a big heart for people and also for our construction industry. Uh, they are actively addressing the future of the construction industry through various training and diversification programs. Um, you definitely are going to want to listen in and see what they have to say on these critical topics. Mary and Jason, welcome to Construction Disruption. I'm really looking forward to learning from you today, um, as well as to just simply bringing your story out to our listeners and viewers here on construction disruption. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having us. Well, it's good to have you here. So I believe that you both hail from our state to the West. That's where you grew up in Indiana. Um, But then I guess as a Buckeye, I'm allowed to say this name 
this state's name allowed this time of year. Um, After growing up in Indiana, you relocated, lived in Michigan for a while, and uh, that's where you started uh, a construction company, and that was really kind of your start in construction, I believe? Actually, uh, close. We actually lived in a city in Indiana right on the Michigan border called Michigan City, Indiana, which is a little confusing. So it's literally like like five minutes away from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my first role in construction was working for my brother's roofing company. I started at age 14, age 15, uh, just really kind of helping out on the weekends and then for gas money. And really, that, that is how my whole track and construction began. And Mary was always along for the ride. Yeah, we uh, moved in together and I actually started roofing with mm-hmm. Jason. Mm-hmm. I did one summer on the roof. They kept me on mostly new construction projects. Indiana summer. Indiana summer. And then when the winter hit, I decided I was going to learn construction accounting. <laughs> <laughs> so I went inside <laughs> then and uh, worked on the back end. But I've been uh, what I call construction adjacent for my whole career. Well, I think that's pretty fascinating to think about and where you are today with the various programs and training that you offer. So what was it, you know, during those early years that really allowed you to formulate some of the ideas and the thoughts that that drive what you did today and brought you to where you are today? What what were things that you noticed and you said, gee whiz, there has to be better ways than than the way this is being done? Well, my brother-in-law, who was the owner of the company, uh, was actually a really brilliant tradesman, really great at roofing, really terrible at business. Uh, when when I actually took over and said I was going to take on the office, he handed me a contractor's garbage bag that was the whole paperwork for the business. And it had contracts, receipts. There was a pizza box in there because someone had mistaken it for garbage bag because it was a garbage bag. Literally garbage. Wow. So, you know, from the very beginning, we kind of looked around at this family business mm-hmm. and said, you know, we think we think we have some ideas. Yeah. Jason was the younger brother. And so we said, well, give us control of the business for six months. Let's see what happens. Because at this point, you have nothing to lose. And actually, that conversation looked a little more like he said, OK, smart guy, you have a lot of big <laughs> ideas. Why don't you run this for a minute right. and let's see how it goes. And so uh, Mary and I got married young, uh, not because there was a baby, but because we just knew we wanted to be together. And we ran that business together. I was 19. Mary was 18. And we went over six months from three employees to 13 employees, three new company trucks. Uh, we bought and paid for all new tools. We bought a piece of property with plans. Uh, we had a health care plan. Uh, we had a training program that we created and a promotional structure. All of that in six months' time. And so we were making money hand over fist. And, of course, family business kind of uh, reared its head. Family and, dynamics. You know, being the younger brother, uh, some moves were made, and we ended up leaving. And then from there, we went to work for a home builder. So amazing, gifted, talented person. Uh, That guy taught me how to build everything in a residential home. And specifically, he could build beautiful furniture and cabinetry, very fine carpentry. Didn't understand the first thing about business. Oftentimes, we just hemorrhage money in ways that he didn't understand. And I came on as a carpenter. He taught me the trade. And uh, for him, we built out his contracting structure. Uh, I got into designs. I was designing houses for him in a really cool little uh, neighborhood. And in fact, got his entry into project management Mm -hmm. when uh, there was a project that was on a handshake contract. It was a home built on a handshake contract. And 
the owner was done paying, but the builder wasn't done building. And they kind of hit this point where they couldn't move forward. And basically the owner of the business said, well, Jason, let's see what you can do with this. And that was uh, the biggest part of our introduction into construction, uh, that it is filled with folks who are full of heart and full of passion and love for the trade, but they're not necessarily built to run a business. Mm-hmm. Right, and they need help, and that's why we have the phrase uh, "we help construction companies grow up," because a lot of them start out as mom and pop outfits, and they don't necessarily understand the mechanisms or process they need to put in place in order to successfully maintain any growth. We were just having a conversation with one of our students like 20 minutes ago, and he said, "How is it that these businesses get so big and they don't have better processes for running work?" And I said, you know, they're good at the trade. They start a business and then they just do the best that they can. They figure out how to get through the best that they can. But then they teach their PMs how to do it that way or their people how to do it that way. And they teach the next generation. And before you know it, we've been doing it this way for 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So it takes that somebody new to come in and look at it and say, maybe there's a better way we could do this. That's very interesting. So you're not only necessarily helping folks you know, learn things that maybe weren't in their natural skill set as more of a technician, but you're also encouraged them, hey, look beyond, see how things could really be. Yeah, 100%. And, well, and we'll say, if you, you're welcome to keep doing things the way that you've always done it, but as markets get tighter and margins get thinner, uh, we have to change something in order to improve the way that we're doing business. And we, we tell our students, foreman and PM alike, try it, measure it, figure out how that change impacted your work and, and your, your bottom line. And if you want to go back to the same crappy way that you were doing it before, that's always an option. You can always go back to that. So what are some of those low-hanging fruit that you find you can immediately have some of the biggest impact on uh, the contractors you work with? Well, so with the the students that we teach, we kind of take this approach where we try to put things in their hand that one person could immediately put to work. You know, in our history, in our background, we used to do consulting work and we would come into a company and help them identify what they need as a company. And then they would often have a hard time kind of sticking the landing. They would say, well, our people aren't really capable of doing this or we don't really want to roll this out. Our, Our foremen aren't ready for this. And we just had a lot of frustration. So we kind of stopped, rethought what we were doing and tried to teach it in a way that any given person could take this to work and use it. Many times when we were brought into an engagement to help folks improve their process, it's because there was some acute problem. So there was sexual discrimination. Uh, They're about to lose the business. People are quitting in droves. And so we're brought in to kind of stop the bleeding and help. And so we'll talk with all of the folks at the business to try to get a sense of, of the state of things. And we'll tell them, I know that you're, you're, thinking about quitting, just trust us, stick around. Just stick around for like, give me 30 days. And if things aren't turned around, I will personally help you Mm. find a better place, right? And uh, because ultimately we were there for the people. We wanted to improve life and quality of life for the people. And we just experienced a ton of frustration in working with business owners because many times they would say that they were committed to a change, but when rubber really needed to hit the road, they were not actually committed to the change. So that was a big part of our revision to training and teaching. So now we're trying to change the industry kind of one person at a time. So when you ask about those direct concrete things that we're doing, I would say one of the biggest things that we do with the foreman 
uh, is that we give them a process that helps them understand how to take a new piece of software, a new piece of technology that they're handed and how to figure out how to hit the ground running with it. Because that can be so frustrating and often no one has ever put it in a way that they can get their heads easily around. So we have a process that we give them. And the truth is what we're really doing is we're teaching them how to Google a thing, but they need that support often. They didn't grow up like, you know, our kids did in a world where technology was around them all the time. So it's not, they don't, they don't speak that language natively. So helping the foreman to get their head around technology is a big kind of immediate instant step that they mostly all need. Yeah. Foremen don't get into construction because they wanted to learn more software. Uh, we're teaching a 37 year industry vet. So been in the business for 37 years, works for a billion dollar company, and we're teaching him how to learn new software. And he starts tearing up and he's not a crier and he starts tearing up and he says, how come no one has explained it to me this way before? Yeah. Wow. So for the foreman, I would say that's the big one. And then quickly for the PMs, I think it's that uh, they haven't really ever necessarily taken a step back and looked at risk in a, in a very step-by-step -step kind of way. We, we had talk a we had a conversation where somebody says, well, risk on a project, you, you just have to be able to smell risk. A great PM can just smell risk. And that's true. We all kind of know that and feel it by gut that that's who's successful in that role. But there are many people who could be successful as PMs, but they need to be taught that process. And it's very hard to teach. So we have kind of and in the same way that we taught the foreman how to embrace technology, we teach the PMs how to walk through and, and really identify a risk and get your arms around what that risk is and how can you protect your project from it. Wow, good stuff. Well, I probably got the cart ahead of the horse a little bit. I You just, you got me thinking, it's like, ah, oh, I want to know more. But so let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you moved to Seattle um, and you started a business there called Arcade Wayfinding, uh, whereas you already mentioned um, your mantra is that you help construction companies grow up. A um, couple of things before we dig deeper. Why Seattle? I'm a little curious. It's a beautiful place. I love it. Um, I'd also love to hear a little bit more about the name Arcade Wayfinding and, and what brought that all about. Well, so we literally, so we had young kids. Uh, I, I just... We finished our time at Purdue University mm -hmm. and uh, our kids were getting to school age and we knew that we didn't want to raise them there. Uh, we wanted to raise them someplace with a little bit more access to culture and theater and uh, cool things that, that, you know, food scene. Where we grew up, there was really nothing to do except like maybe smoke cigarettes in the cornfield, you know? Right. Go, go hang out <laughs> at the at the Greek American restaurant, which was to die for, but mm. it was all that there was. We knew, we knew we wanted something different. So we pulled out the map and we actually, we identified, I think, three different cities. We literally got out a map, laid it out, and we said, well, we don't want to go anywhere warmer than here, right? And we kind of bisected Snared everything. Narrowed it down and we picked three cities and it was Denver, it was Portland. Portland and it was Seattle and sent out a hundred resumes, literally a hundred resumes had never visited any of those locations. Mm -hmm. And then I, I landed a job at Lee Crutcher Lewis, which is a major local uh, general contractor. Yeah. First time we saw Seattle was when we showed up for the job interview. And then the next time we came back to Seattle, we had bought our first house here sight unseen Yep, and rolled up and moved in. Uh, and so I worked for Lee Crutcher Lewis, a major commercial outfit, 
and worked for a couple of other commercial contractors and really kind of built a lot of experience and understanding of the process of successful projects. During that time, I spent some time with Mike. At that point, when we moved to Seattle, we had a 10-month-old and a two-year-old. So I spent a little time doing the mom thing, uh, and then actually went to work teaching code to kids. Uh, and that was actually really fun work. So that's, I was doing that while Jason was building his construction shops. Uh, and then gave my boss a year and a half notice. I said, after we wrap this project, don't assign me for any others. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be something different. And started this started business. Arcade Consultants. Yeah, arcade Consultants. Um, and so we were primarily working with the subcontractors that had worked for me as a general contractor um, and started this business just kind of figuring out what it is that we do and ultimately ended up building training and support programs for folks that we were consulting. So at the time that we opened our first big office and moved out of the back bedroom of the house, uh, then we had set everything up and we were launching Arcade Consultants as a real place in the world. And uh, we were doing maybe a third of our work was training, uh, probably another, probably more than a third was consulting. And then we actually, at that point, were doing a bunch of owner's representation work as well. Uh, and so basically what we kind of came to is it's midnight. We're here at the office ourselves putting together uh, an Ikea bookshelf that is kind of the centerpiece of the office now. We have a big grand opening we're preparing for. We have all of our uh, media sent off and all of our prints and glasses. We have and, ordered, like, yeah, coffee all... cups, glasses, a big uh, graphic for the front entryway of the yeah. building that all say Arcade Consultants. It's midnight and we're putting together these bookshelves, kind of banging our knuckles up too late, kind of crazy. And I say, what if we changed our name? And he says, no, no, it's too late. We couldn't possibly change our name. And then, okay. And we work in silence for a minute. And he goes, what were you thinking we'd change it to? And I said, well, arcade wayfinding, because ultimately we do all this really different work. We're not just consulting anymore, but whatever we're doing, we're kind of helping people find their way. I said, but that's, that's crazy. It's fine. We've already sent stuff off to print and we work in silence for another minute. And he goes, well, shit. <laughs> it's like let's let's see if we can if we can call it back on any of the stuff that that's out. So uh, the the arcade element of it is that an arcade is an arch, right? It is basically it supports viaducts. It's that archway. It's oh, sure. I don't have it on my it's, oh yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> here. So it's arch. It's timeless. It's beautiful. It's, it's strong. Uh, it's dependable, but. It also relates to, say, video games. It also relates to gameplay. Gameplay. We do a lot of what we do through gameplay. We help people understand things through turning it into a game because people are more interested in understanding a game that they're playing than they are in hearing someone lecture them about a textbook. Especially construction folks, we hate just being talked at sure. and, and using that as a method of learning or reading a book. So instead, we turn all of our lessons into interactive games. Well, and the people in construction, bringing my education background, people in construction tend to be visual learners. Mm -hmm. They tend to be the kind of learners who need to hold something in their hands in order to get their head around it. Mm -hmm. They tend to not be people who are well served by the kind of read a book methodology of learning. Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. I'm kind of curious. Um, I know you originally started working, you said, with some of the subcontractors you had worked with. 
Um, I'm kind of curious, who is your typical client today? What does that process look like? I mean, do you bring them into your office and have them lay down on the couch and say, tell me all your problems? Uh, you know, what, what does this look like as you engage a client and, uh, you know, figure out how can we help them find their way? Well, so it has changed a lot over time. So, but, but I think even in the, in the consulting years, we would work with mom and pop shops all the way up to the billion dollar juggernauts. And it looked very different how we rolled that out from client to client. And we spend a lot of our time helping people uh, communicate better and manage conflict, manage conflict on jobs, uh, process information. We teach critical thinking, uh, all of these core skills that they are directly applicable to subcontractors. Uh, so in, in our classes right now, I call our clients. I don't know that well, I use the term clients. Yeah, well, because that's, that's what I was going to yeah. say. So we had all of our consulting work and the way mm -hmm. that we engage with those clients, but we actually stopped that altogether. Mm -hmm. We don't do any consulting work at all other than coaching with our Build the Circle students, which yeah. we'll get to that later. So in March of 2020, we decided we're going to do 100% full-time in training. We had two... full-time in-person training. Yeah, we had two giant consulting clients and both of them were really frustrating for us. Both of them were, the owners were happy and they were continuing to give us money, but uh, we felt like we were letting people down. I think gray hair. Right? Yeah, that's that's those guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we were just both feeling really frustrated and feeling like no matter what we did, we just weren't happy with our work anymore. So we decided, we went, we, we got a hotel room for a weekend. We had kind of a an officer retreat and said, what are we going to do about this business? And we decided we were going to quit consulting altogether. We dropped those clients uh, and we, we built in that weekend the bones of the Foreman Basic Training Program and decided we were going to work with students only. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be launching in March of 2020. So, so the world had other ideas. So in but it was six months later and then we resumed mm -hmm. in person and have been doing it ever since successfully. Um, so now our clients, rather than being companies that we work with, uh, companies sign up and send students one by one to our program, to our eight week program. So the, the folks who we interact with who are our students, their subcontractors, general contractors, uh, owners, owners reps, reps, their architects, their uh, material representatives. We have someone who's a construction insurance mm -hmm. agent who's yep. in one of our programs. Property so management. Um, but then we also have folks from the residential sector and commercial sector and industrial uh, from all walks of, of construction. And, and in fact, and merit shop. Yeah, and in fact, the more diverse the room is, the better the class is because we get more interesting conversations and more personalities. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the companies still come from companies where everything is done by process. And they'll say, I can't believe that anybody isn't doing it this way. And then we'll have people who are at companies where they're doing almost nothing by process. And they'll say, there's no way anybody does it using all that process. So having both those people in the room together where they can both hear from each other's experience, they both learn a lot more and really buy in a lot more to what we're all learning. I love that. You know, there's a company here in Ohio that does something similar, but more for business owners, um, not so much for their leaders. And one of the things is I've often looked at them, it's always been like, you know, you've got great content, great material for the business owners, um, but, you know, we need to help filter this down. So I love what you're doing. So, you know, just to clarify, you're no longer involved in construction directly at all, correct? Well, <laughs> well funny that you say that. Well, so we are uh, kind of not, <laughs> uh, but one of the things, an initiative that you were hearing here first, because we actually just kind of decided this in-house over the last 
few weeks is that uh, we are looking to now come in and do something that looks a little like consulting uh, where we're working on projects with our clients in order to kind of keep our fingers in the industry and make sure that we don't teach for so long that we lose touch with how things are changing and how they look. So that was a, an offering that we provided for a number of folks mm -hmm. called Project Coaching, where essentially we act as executives or senior PMs, and we coach them from start to finish through the project. And the angle that we'd be taking in this iteration would be to utilize some students uh, in order to help facilitate that process. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, uh, you know, also we are doing some work with our students after they come through the program, mm -hmm. then we say they're part of the arcade family. Yeah. And when you, when you graduate our programs, we make the commitment that if you make it through graduation, uh, we will be here forever in perpetuity. And in the case that you ever find yourself out of work, in the case that you find yourself victim of harassment or discrimination, uh, in the case that you don't know how to talk to your boss uh, about a raise, or you're looking for a new home, uh, not a literal home, but a new work home, uh, any of those situations, if you're having a problem on a project and, and you want a second opinion or some input, then we say that no matter what the situation is, you can always come back home. Uh, we'll make you a cup of coffee and we will give you the support that you need. So we do a certain amount of ongoing kind of coaching with these people, mm -hmm. helping them run their construction projects. So we have someone who uh, took kind of a big step up in her career and is working uh, at a higher level than she ever has before. And she comes in and does regular coaching where we sit down and we pull out her project and we just walk through what's going on and what she needs to do and how she needs help. We also have another uh, former student who has started a handyman business and he's good at the work, but he doesn't really know how to start a business, get his license, all of that. One of the first observations, as I said, your rates are way too low. You need like two and a half times higher, just two and a half times higher and just see what happens. And uh, he didn't lose any bids after raising rates two and a half times, still uh, making money, but now there's enough revenue to actually mm -hmm. start growing and start developing. So we still have our fingers in the industry in a lot of ways, but no, we're not doing direct construction work under the arcade umbrella. Gotcha. Very good. So I, I assume since so much of the training is personal, I mean, most of your clients are from Seattle area then, I assume? Mm -hmm. yep. yep. But we do travel. Uh, if the situation is right, then we can come in and provide our programs in different locations. Okay. We're in talks right now to go to Portland mm -hmm. and to uh, uh, what, California. Yeah, I know. San Diego, San Diego I think. Yeah. yeah. So out of arcade wayfinding has come the Build the Circle Scholarship Program. Great name, by the way. I mean, just a visual right there. But And by the way, too, you have a great video about Build the Circle on your website, so I encourage people to check that out. But um, tell us a little bit about Build the Circle and the scholarship program and what that means. So when we launched our form and basic training program, then we talked to a lot of the companies that wanted to send people to training. And we said, send us your future leaders, send us your bright shining stars, and we'll strengthen them up and make them ready to run this stuff. And what we saw is a bunch of white guys, because that's who the future identified leaders were. So we reached back out and we said, okay, next time, let's see if we can maybe make some space and send us some of your women and send us some of your English second language future leaders. Some of your black folks. Send us some of your black folks. And the answer that we got back was, well, we don't necessarily have those people at our company and we'd like to meet more, but we don't know them. And I think it's it's valuable 
Um, so as a, as a statistic, the construction industry is fueled by roughly 30% English second language folks and roughly 3% are in leadership. So there's a gigantic disparity in terms of the representation of leadership. Uh, we're not building rocket ships here, but one of the biggest drivers behind Foreman Basic is that the construction industry has the second highest rate of suicide of any industry, uh, just second to mining. And one of the leading indicators of, of whether or not someone is at risk for suicide is promotion without preparation. And that is how we learn. That is how we operate in the industry. It is ridiculous that this, this norm is okay. But a lot of that comes back to the idea of like psychological safety, that folks need to feel like uh, they're safe to, to raise a flag or call somebody out on, on bullying or misbehavior. And by and large, we don't, we just quit and we leave. And so, um, Many people will say, well, we have a recruiting problem or there aren't, there's not enough diversity in construction. I'll say, we don't have a recruiting problem or a talent problem. We've got a culture problem. We've created a caustic, toxic environment that folks are just leaving in droves. But another part of the story is the construction is families are so connected to in construction. So people get a job in construction. Jason started in construction because his brother had a construction company. When we talk to our foreman and we say, who in here had a dad or an uncle or a big brother in construction and it's hands everywhere. So we often come into construction through our families. So if 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have a lot of people who weren't white people in construction, then the people today didn't necessarily have a dad in construction. And we it's easy to lose track of how many connections we have and we make because of that family where people get opportunities because of those family connections and how, so how many doors have been opened for you and for everybody who listens to this by virtue of nepotism and i don't use nepotism as a dirty word but it is our relations and our connections with other people that have created so many opportunities for us. And there are so many places where other folks don't see that same experience. So we were hearing from people who wanted to take the training that we were offering, but could never afford to pay for it by themselves. And we were hearing from companies who wanted to meet people like that. And the truth is these people who wanted to join the training and who want to get into the industry, they often don't know anybody who does construction. They don't have those connections at all. So we built Build the Circle in order to take those companies who want to meet those people and let them sponsor a student through the program. So then we reach out to community organizations and to a bunch of ways that we can reach people that want to be part of construction. We vet them and connect them to sponsors who then pay for part of their tuition through the program. They meet us. They meet people from the company that have sponsored them. They meet every single person who is in their cohort because we have committed to have no more than half of those people be scholarship students so that they are still sitting in a room with those future leaders, with those white guys who are identified as the next generation of owners and leaders. And they're all in a room together. Uh, they meet, they, they give a speech and meet a panel of industry rock stars who we try to choose panelists who look like them. So we see black panelists, we see English second language panelists, we see women on the panel. They give their speech to that panel. They get connected to those people. And then after they get through the program, if they're looking for work, then 
we work to help them find a home in the industry. We work to help connect them with people who are looking to hire them. And we give preference to the Build the Circle partners who fund and back our program, partially because they, they contribute to our initiative. But a bigger part of it is because we know that they're going to be safe there. And so in the case that they were a victim of discrimination or harassment or uh, unreasonable management, we would be perfectly comfortable in going to those partner companies and having a very frank conversation. I'm curious, have there been any big success stories come out of that that you could share? I mean, people whose lives have really been changed because of the opportunity they had. Actually, several, which we're super, super excited about. We have a brand new one. So a common common question that we get is, what makes your training different than, let's say, uh, the, the stock training that is produced or available through various contractor associations, uh, those will provide kind of some nuts and bolts elements. But our goal and our mission is to help them transform into the person that they're supposed to be. So it is very common that people come through and understand life differently. Their relationships with their spouse or their kids changes. So our goal for every student, not just the, step, the scholarship students, but the goal is for everybody to really wake up and look around and think about how we treat each other and think about how we can do better. But in, in short, a couple of the stories that come to mind immediately is we had a young woman who we uh, really thought was destined for great things. And uh, she had actually been to some some training at Arcade before. And uh, we kind of raised her and said, hey, get your company to send you to PM Basic. Mm-hmm. And she responded and said, actually, they're not they're not interested. They're not going to pay for the training. And we ended up getting her set up with a sponsorship. And she was actually one of the first Build mm-hmm. the Circle students came through the program. One of the things we really focus on in the PM training is the idea that when we make mistakes in construction, so much of the chaos and the bad stuff that happens happens as a result of trying to cover those mistakes and hide those mistakes. So we really need to throw the flag and just say, here's what happened. Here's what went wrong. How can we fix it and not make this mistake again? So we teach that really and, hard. And as leaders, we have to create the space where people feel safe actually bringing that stuff out into the open. So she graduated the program. She went back to her company and she shared with her boss who was managing her remotely from elsewhere in the country uh, that she had made this mistake. She had actually raised it to him before, but he chose at that time to fire her as a result. So we were her first stop where mm-hmm. after she got fired, she came, came straight in here. Yeah. Sat down in the chair just over here and says, I don't know what to do. And so we kind of talked through the situation and, uh, when people are in that situation, there's oftentimes a lot of guilt and they feel like they did something wrong and it was all on them and they should have known better. And we kind of talked through the, the play-by-play of what happened. And we said, if you were working for us here, would we have fired you? And she said, well, no, of course not. Of course you wouldn't. I said, understand that you being fired is the best thing that's happened to you in your life so far. So we helped her with her resume. We got her set up with a bunch of different interviews. We actually went to one of her interviews with her because it was another student of the uh, PM basic training. It was a later student of PM basic training who was interviewing her. So we all went together. And we ended up coaching both of them individually (laughs) about how to interview one another. Uh, Yeah. After the interview, I took her outside and coached her on next steps. And uh, Jason stayed inside and coached him on next steps about how to interview and hire a person. Uh, but she ended up 
getting a job that she was really excited about in a role that was a really big step up. And she's actually a student I was talking about earlier who we coach her now on a regular basis. And one more quick story. I'll keep it real quick. <laughs> because there are many. There's, there's so many. We could tell you a lot, but we won't. so many. Uh, one quick story is that uh, we had a, a scholarship student and she uh, uh, was a, a black woman in the trades and came through and uh, basically got the scholarship. And well, do I want to tell this one? Well, there's so many. There's so many. There's so many. Uh, so came through, uh, got the scholarship, did fantastic, and ended up going to work with one of our core partners that identifies talent. And so she is now the uh, director of JEDI, which is a super cool name. Love that term. Uh, director position uh, for one of our closest uh, allied organizations, a new director of JEDI, which is Justice, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Right. And so we regularly interact with one another. But and she had been a laborer when she came into the program, and she was built for greater things. Mm -hmm. And so she uh, went on to then get that role, and we're really excited about that. And there are other stories, but again, we'll, we'll we hand it back to we you We don't now. have time, but we could go on for a <laughs> long time. That is actually our favorite thing to talk about. That's great, though, when you when uh, that becomes your favorite part is, is telling those success stories. And, you know, I applaud you on your efforts and, and the strides you're making in making our industry more diverse um, because it truly is a shortcoming. And it's um, very much to the to the detriment of our industry that we are so old and white um well and and the, the part that i'll interject there because there are a lot of folks who could hear this and be offended or or not really know how to process it and one of the ways that we reach those folks is we explain it in the in the format of think about diversity in terms of diversity of thought diversity of experience absolutely uh, if you if you have somebody you're running a commercial project and you have someone from a residential background, they're gonna bring a toolbox that you wouldn't necessarily have access to. And the same thing is true with culture and gender, uh, uh, sexual orientation across the board. The idea is that that diversity of experience is one of the most powerful tools we have access to, but the key to it is that they have to feel psychologically safe as a team. Because if they don't, if they have a different way of seeing the world and the problems that are in front of us, if they don't feel like they can speak up and share that different view, then we don't get the benefit of it. So it's really important that they feel like they can bring their ideas to the table and not be told that they're, you know, wrong or stupid or that they need to shut up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I sit in on a lot of uh, industry, construction industry meetings. And um, years ago, when I started in that role, I would look around the room and say, Okay, we all look alike. I'm the youngest one here, so maybe I'm supposed to bring the diverse thinking by being a little bit younger. Now I'm looking around the room, and we all truly look like what we used to look like or what they used to look like to me. And, you know, I often have that thought if we had um, some other backgrounds, some other ways of thinking – doesn't mean to eliminate anybody, but let's bring some other ways of thinking into this and some other backgrounds and see how we can, can grow and expand. One of my favorite things to say is we always talk about how all of our sons and our daughters end up in the industry. And I say, it's not that we don't want our sons and daughters. We still need our sons and daughters, but absolutely, we are missing a lot of people. We need a lot of people in construction right now. And there is room for our sons and daughters and everyone else's sons and daughters too. I agree. Good stuff. So 
Um, changing gears for quite a while now, you've had a podcast, The Critical Path with Mary and Jason. You've got 75 or so episodes under your belt, um, wide variety of tro- topics, but your overall focus um, always seems to be helping contractors develop their businesses. Um, love to hear from each of you. Is there any particular episode that really stands out in my, in your mind as, oh, that was my favorite? What do you think? Do you have a favorite? Oh, I, I have two that come immediately to mind. All right, go ahead. Easy. What's easy. one? Uh, so one is actually a pair of episodes. So uh, it was, it, it's called Storytime with Arcade. And it, I think it's around about near episode 50 in that neighborhood. Middle-ish. And we didn't want to start off by telling our whole story or, or sharing all about us. We wanted, we felt like we kind of had to earn that opportunity. And we went through the process of kind of building up our, our library of topics. And then we uh, had scotch and we talked through our whole story from start to finish mm-hmm. of, of where we began our humble beginnings uh, midway through to Seattle and then our, our jaunt into Toronto and full cycle back to arcade and just really it's a really good opportunity to to get to know somebody through those two episodes so i have two in mind to only talk about one but i'm going to name them both because my two favorite episodes we did were both the kind of movie analogy episodes we did that, that was my other one yeah so uh it's either why a construction project is like a heist or a heist movie or why a construction project is like a zombie movie, mm-hmm. both of which are super relevant. Oh, also the alien one, yeah. I really liked too. Um, but I'll, I'll do the heist. I'll, I'll talk a little more about the heist <laughs> one because the idea is, you know, if we think I, about, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for heist movies, yeah, like Jason anything. has always loved heist Dog movies. Dog Day Afternoon, Money Heists, like set it up, I will watch it. So if you think about a great heist movie, what's really going on in that movie is every single person has a very specific role of what they're there to do. What are they, what's their job? What are they carrying in this heist? And then there's an intense amount of planning as to how is the heist going to go? What are we going to do when we get there? What are the backup plans when things go wrong? Everybody has all of the the state of the art tools and top notch training, right? Excellent communication that that we can communicate and understand non-verbally exactly what other folks are doing. But often when we do construction projects, we don't have clear roles. So when you think about a heist, you're like, oh, it's a million bucks, right? They're going to go grab a million bucks. How much are our construction projects worth? Like it's real money on the table. Uh, Mm -hmm. A company that I had worked with an adjacent PM lost two and a half million dollars, like lost two and a half million dollars. That's heist money right there. So Often the way that we run projects is we don't have those clearly defined roles and expertises and and understanding of who's going to carry what. We don't often do that intensive planning of what we're going to do. And we often don't plan at all for what we're going to do when things go wrong. And so it doesn't look like a heist at all. It looks more like a robbery. It's like a smash and grab. We just go in and there's chaos and there are alarms and everybody's kind of running around just trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. And so we plan zero and we don't invest in communication or training or tools. And we show up and we do this like smash and grab situation. And then we're surprised that it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. So in that episode, we really talk more through the details of what everyone's role is and how to really how to really accomplish that planning. But I think that one always sticks out for me because I think the analogy is fun, but also extremely apt. That's a fantastic analogy. And I I'm going to I'm going to have to look that episode up and start sending that link out to folks. And after, <laughs> after I listen to it myself first, 
um, because uh, no, good, good lessons there, no doubt. And, and with the podcast, we're always trying to layer interesting topics or, or spins over hard hitting, relevant information. So a number one complaint I hear from contractors across the country is I can't find workers. Oh, There's this yeah. horrible <laughs> worker shortage. Um, I'm sure that you hear that as well. Um, but what are some of the ways that you think companies, contractors are just missing opportunities and um, missing chances to improve their situation? Um, I'm curious to hear your take on that. Well, I mean, so right off the bat, the first place where we always go in this conversation is the, again, back to the diversity conversation. So we're focused or, or we're thinking that there is a shortage of labor and workforce, but understand that straight white men, we're like in the neighborhood of 30% of the population. So we're restricting our visibility of, of our potential labor pool to a third of the potential workforce right off the bat. Uh, the other component of that is that there are a lot of great initiatives getting folks, women, uh, underrepresented folks into the trades, and we see a tremendous hit to retention. So I think it's in King County, Washington, mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a sound transit study that at year three of apprenticeship, only 39% of black folks are still in the apprenticeship. So they don't even get to journey out, right? 39%. Uh, so that means that we're just hemorrhaging and losing these folks because in our personal experiences and understanding of the, of the industry, that we're, we've created a toxic environment that people will leave uh, because it is too expensive to exist here. But another huge part of it is the, again, whether it's the diversity conversation or whether it even is just those same white guys that in construction, as the new generation kind of comes into the workforce, we're finding that there is just this very dated way of approaching the way that we do our work. We don't necessarily give people all the information that they need to do a good job. We don't necessarily give them all the training that they need to do a good job. And then people wash out at a really high rate. And the young people often just won't tolerate that kind of a culture. Yeah. Uh, and so then we say, well, no, young people want to work. But the truth is- They just often, don't want to work for you. It's just that they can't, they can't exist in that environment. And we need to rethink the way that we support our people because often the people who are workers know that can be a really great source of new people to hire. But only if our workers tell their friends and family that this is a great place to work. Right. Uh, we will drag our feet to change. We don't want to change, in, especially in construction. We resist change more than most industries do. And if you think about the amount of information that young folks now have about the world, right? You can Google anything. You can look on, on Google Maps and be somewhere remote. I can spend $4 on a toothbrush on Amazon and see every minute of the day where it physically is as it makes its journey to me. We have information about everything all around us. But my boss will not share with me what our actual scope of work is because they're keeping it close to their chest or they won't share the budget or it, any information with me because they're from that old school siloed generation. It's very common that we see a field foreman 
who cannot have access to what the labor budget is that we want their team to meet. We won't tell them how many hours we want them to get this work done in because we feel that if we do that, then they'll just spend all of it or they'll just waste our time or waste our money. And then we're going to hit them with a stick when they can't make the budget, even though they had no idea what we wanted them to make. Or the tools are training. If we if we can improve our culture when we have companies where they are giving this kind of support, where it is a learning environment, where they have tools, they have training, they're given information, then it is easier for them to get people in that door. So implementing technology, bringing in training, diversifying the workplace, improving those communication skills, all of those are ways that improve company culture. So you are attracting the workers out there who are looking for work makes perfect sense. Well, and, and your competition is not necessarily, let's say the adjacent construction company. Your competition is the Microsoft and the Amazon sure. and Facebook. The other industries that all of the, so many of the young smart people are gravitating away from construction because they see it as being a dead end. Or even like gig work or, or food delivery service or Amazon delivery service. Like if I can go run on my own schedule and I get to spend time with my kids and I can make it, like that's okay. And I think one of the big differences that we're seeing is that years ago, people would snatch up overtime. They would work overtime, nights, weekends, holiday pay. And now they're turning it down because they want to spend time with their families. It's changing values. And if you want folks to work for you, you have to ante up. And I think that that is another big shift that we're seeing with inflation and cost of living. I think that's interesting, especially when you brought in the the uh, companies from up in your area. And I think everyone has to look at that and think, okay, my prospective worker is not just working for another construction company. It's at any of the other places in my area. I know we have a uh, customer up in Michigan and he recruits heavily from subways, the people working at Subway, because he finds them to be very efficient. They love following systems and he finds them to be great workers to entice into construction as well. So, well, we had a, we had a factoid piece of tribal wisdom, knowledge saying about Indiana, Hoosier state is that our greatest export is college grads. We used, that was something that we used to say back when we lived there. Right, people who, especially in the area that we came from, if you had the ability to leave, you left. Yep, I hear you. So for some of our younger listeners and viewers out there, and perhaps those who are just getting started in design or construction, um, what advice do you have for them? Um, who should they be listening to in addition to yourselves? What they should they be reading? What should they be paying attention to? Oh, they shouldn't listen to us. <laughs> so this is a really good bit. And we don't share this with a lot of people. So it's kind of candid here. So Mary and I, we were high school sweethearts. We really kind of built a business that in to, to our knowledge doesn't exist anywhere else in, in our format. And just kind of came from our own experience and, in the world. And between each other will say, you know what? We're just waiting for the world to figure out that we're just two kids in a trench coat. <laughs> it's like, true. We take turns who gets to be on whose shoulders, but like, you know, don't listen to us. Uh, but I think for construction folks, young people coming into the industry, one of the, the most valuable pieces of information is trying to get your head around how much it is that you don't know. There's so much information that you don't know. And this is like the older you get, the less you know, not because you forgot it, but you realize uh, how much the world really has to offer. And one of the best ways to get access to information, the, the way to soak up that information and learn is 
anytime that you have the opportunity to talk to a trade foreman, anytime you have the opportunity to talk to somebody who's been in the trades for 30 years, right? Ask them out for lunch. Uh, buy, I, I would always say coffee, lunch, beer, whatever, you know, you pick, I will, I will buy it. I, I did that once a week. And over that hour uh, that, that we spent together, I would riddle them with questions. I'd ask them like a hundred questions about their trade. What should you always do? What should you never do? What was the craziest story that you ever participated in? And these guys often love to talk about their trade. That's what they've done with their whole life. That is their valuable information they have. So they're often really happy to share that knowledge with you. This could be the first time that they've had that conversation because mm -hmm. maybe their kids don't care, their spouse doesn't care. Uh, and so just some young pup who was was uh, outgoing enough to buy them a drink or, or a lunch, they are willing to invest and, and really share that, that wisdom. So you're building relationships, you're learning about the trades, a lot of good stuff comes mm -hmm. from that. And the other piece of advice that I would give mm -hmm. is if you're specifically looking to go into construction management or design or those kind of fields, um, where we came from at Purdue, there was a requirement that to get a construction management degree, you had to spend six months in the field. And I think that spending time in the field is really important for people who want to be in construction management, because if you haven't ever done that work yourself, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the greatest at doing that work. But if you've never done it, I mean, even just running the back end and the accounting for me, having been on the roof, it made a difference. If, so. if you don't know what it's like to work in the rain or in the dark or on Christmas Day, you sure as heck should not be directing anybody else to do that. Yeah. So it's really important to try to find that opportunity to get some time in the field if you want to be a great construction manager. So I, I've always been in a manufacturing background. I remember as a young guy, um, Easter Sunday, I'm in a warehouse that the roof has just decided to let loose on. And I am urgently moving everything around to dry spots, the only one around. But, you know, it taught me a lot. And, and I still remember that. So good stuff. So this has been great. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time. Thank you so much. Um, it's been really informative, and I'm looking forward to getting this episode out there. Um, before we finish, though, I have to ask you, um, Tension Mounts, if you would like to participate in our rapid-fire questions. Um, these are seven questions that may range from serious to silly. Um, all you have to do is give a quick answer to each. You mean we weren't, we weren't already doing that? <laughs> no, we had an outline for all of this. <laughs> that, it was, of course it was we want excellent. to participate. Okay, so what I'm thinking is we'll alternate questions, um, and uh, then the last question we'll uh, have both of you answer. So um, audience needs to understand they don't have a clue what I'm going to ask them. I don't think they should. We never do. We're we two never kids do. in a trench coat. I got to remember that story. <clears throat> okay, rapid fire. Um, Mary, um, favorite place you've ever lived? Favorite place I've ever lived? Uh, well, it's going to be here in West Seattle. Mm -hmm. uh, West Seattle is just a really great neighborhood, and I love it here. I figured that would be the case. Um, Jason, where is a different place that you think would be really cool to live? Um, other than the Arctic, which is pretty cool, but other than that, <laughs> cool place to uh, live. Easy. Uh, Kauai? Kauai. Uh, oh, Kauai, okay. yeah. So we just went over over the holidays and uh, spent three weeks there. And it is it is like heaven on earth. I think that, uh, you know, I would love to spend six months here and six months there mm -hmm. over the course of the year. 
Um, but believe it or not, there's just not a ton of construction on Kauai. That's true. Yeah, be- beautiful place. They get their share of rain, too, Oh yeah, um, from time to time. But beautiful place. Good stuff. Uh, Mary, are you a coffee person or a tea person? I think I know the answer. Yeah, I mean, so I am a coffee person, <laughs> but I actually like tea, too. I, I, I think I'm, I'm a little ambidextrous when it comes to coffee and tea. But uh, probably if I had to pick, then it would be coffee. Good stuff. Um, Jason, you can consult with Mary on this one if you need to, okay? What is your most useless talent? That's a good one. Well, oh, I mean... Oh, I know what it okay. is. I know what it is. Uh, I, am, oh. I am gifted. This is good. I am gifted at balancing pop cans, like right on this edge. So I am super good at that. I will always do that. Like I'll drink it and then figure out if I can do it if or not. If you're sitting at the table, hanging out with Jason, he is, there's a good chance that he has a soda can on its edge on the table at and, some point. And then if I get it just right, I can spin it around. <laughs> oh my That's goodness. Really that is talented. I was thinking you're going to say you did this on your forehead or something. No, but... no, 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 no. It's on the table. On the so table. that's, we don't have a, a good surface to show it or we I, would. I'm not silly. Like I wouldn't do it on my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, he almost looks like he doesn't know he's doing it when he's doing it. Mary, what is your favorite compliment that you've ever received from someone? Ooh. You took mine. <laughs> oh, well, you oh, can answer this one that, too then. That is a really good question or a really good, yeah. I, hmm, my favorite compliment. You have any input on this one? You don't know. I mean, I get I get a lot that people like my hair. I guess I don't know if it's favorite, but people will always say someone just said this to me two days ago. They'll say, oh, your hair is is green and you're you're professional. You're so brave. I wish I was as brave as you. And it's like, that's a funny thing to say to someone. Like if I said to you, you're so brave to wear that shirt. (laughs) So I don't know if that counts as favorite. So my my favorite one, and I will share this and override the rules here, that uh, I was a general contractor project manager and uh, I had a stair vendor and we never start off with start off with enough money on projects. So I am in the process of taking money away from him because he has it and I need it. And he's walking out and he goes, you know, Jason, you were the nicest asshole I've ever known. I said, thank you. Like that is, <laughs> that is the compliment. best thing anybody has ever said about me because we can, uh, we can have a relationship and we enjoy each other's company, but you know, we got to play the game at the end of the day. And that is not a compliment you'll forget. That's good stuff. Okay. Well, you got double dip there, but that's okay. We're going to go back <laughs> to you, Jason. Um, Jason, if you were a school teacher, what subject would you teach? Ooh. Philosophy. Easy. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, both of you, if you had the opportunity to take an unusual mode of transportation, something you've never taken before and something you probably never will take, what would that mode of transportation be? Spaceship. (laughs) It's a spaceship. I want to go in a spaceship. I'm a huge science fiction buff, love anything to do with it. Actually, at one point in my life was going to school uh, to try to, well, I wanted to get my degree in astrophysics and was trying to learn more about how warp travel could really happen and stuff like that. So spaceship. Uh, I awesome. would be gondola. <laughs> oh. we're, we're an interesting yeah. pair. <laughs> like it, traffic, traffic is terrible here in Seattle. And there's a lot of discussion about in, in other countries in South America, particularly, particularly in places in Europe, uh, gondolas are actually really viable 
uh, modes of transport. So you mean like the cable car yes, cable over cars. the, not like the no, Venetian no. like gondola? Oh, that's, no, that's what I was like thinking that, too. Though. Is that that's a gondola? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over, yeah. Overhead. Well, yeah. I'm just saying. I, I think cable car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's actually really cost effective, much better than roads and trains and all that good stuff, and it's super fast. But in in the states, we are just uncomfortable with that technology. And it's over our houses. It freaks us out. It freaks us out, but it is actually very dependable and very stable. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, that was a fun set of rapid fire because you guys, <laughs> you get you made it fun. Thank you. Um, <laughs> This has been great. Um, I love it. You guys really are making a difference out there. And uh, kudos to that. I applaud you for that. And excited to see what your next ventures are going to be in this construction world. Is there anything we haven't covered today that you'd like to cut that you'd like to add? Yeah. Well, so I think, you know, one of the, the most important parts about our work, specifically with Build the Circle and trying to improve the industry, is that folks can make a difference and folks can can do some tangible good. We came out of 2020 with a feeling like, well, there's all of this inequity and and how do we address these problems? We just need something that we can do about it. And so that is kind of the core function of Build the Circle that we're here to do the work. We're here to roll up our sleeves and get in the trenches. So in the case that folks want to sponsor students, in the case that, that folks want to get involved in our program, they do not have to be here locally in order to participate. Uh, we have a realtor who said, you know, I had family in construction. I want to sponsor a student. And uh, took that upon themselves and and has agreed to, again, sponsor this year for more students. So she has nothing to gain out of that situation, but she feels like if she could put her money in a place where it's going to do some real tangible good, she's all for it. And I think that I would encourage other folks to reach out to us in the case that you want to get involved and actually do something to make the industry better and safer. And I think I would add on to that. I think it's great if you call us and if you participate with us, that's fantastic. I love it. But even if you're not going to do that, even if that's a bigger scale step than you want to take, if you feel like we have a problem and you feel like something should change, find something, even something very small that you can actually do. Find a thing, anything you can take action on, as opposed to just wishing that we could take action or not really knowing what to do about it. Look for something you can do. I, I got to applaud you. You guys have seen that continuously. You you obviously know that nothing changes unless we make, make that first step to make a change. And uh, you folks are doing it. So um, whether it's for the scholarship program or for any other purpose, uh, what's the best way for someone to be able to get in contact with you? You can find us on our website at www.arcadewayfinding.com. Yep. And you can email us at jason at arcadewayfinding.com, mary at arcadewayfinding.com. Info if you forgot both of our names. We're also super active on LinkedIn. So there's mm -hmm. a, a ton of content that we push around on LinkedIn and share the stories of our graduates and panelists and scholarship students. Yep. And also we are just starting to uh, make our way into other social media because we actually have uh, hired uh, a director of outreach and she's going to be working on getting some Facebook groups going and stuff to try to help us reach more of those potential scholarship students. So you'll be seeing more of that in the future. We're hard not to find. We're everywhere. <laughs> well, this has been great. Um, I've really enjoyed this and um, thank you so very much for spending some some time with us. Um, it's been a great deal of fun also. So uh, thank you. Well, thanks for having yeah, us. Thank you.
And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of Construction Disruption with our guests, Mary and Jason Sturgeon of Arcade Wayfinding. Please watch for future episodes of our podcast. Um, we always have more great episodes on tap. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Um, until then, as we always encourage everyone, take that step to change the world for someone. Make them smile, encourage them. Two of the most powerful things that we can do to change the world. God bless. Take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption.